Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. Hello, welcome back. Let's go around and say our names. I'm Jim. I'm Tricia. My name is Henry. My name is Cass. I'm Paul. My name is Ray. I'm Tom. Matthew. Jeff. Troy. I'm Brad. Jack. Richard. Warren. Well, welcome. Um, I'm going to read this file because it's very impressive. <laughs> okay. And it's well written. Uh, Novel Escobar is a bilingual bicultural Dharma teacher, licensed psychotherapist, and a certified yoga instructor. He is a graduate of the East Bay Meditation Center's Commit to Dharma and for more than a decade has served EBMC in a variety of roles, including on the development team for resilience, refuge, and evolution a six-month leadership program for people of color. He has devoted 25 years to serving people from marginalized communities, drawing on his life experience as a queer man of color from an immigrant working class background. Having encountered the priceless wisdom embodied in Buddhism and yoga, he continues daily to learn the revolutionary potential of body-centered, hand play practices for personal and social healing. Welcome, welcome, and thank you, Natasha. Thank you, yeah, thank you, Jim. And thanks, Cass and Jeff, and each of you for being here. Um, whoa, it's like um, <laughs> I'm having um, John Waters and, and Divine and the smell of vision, but it's like visual vision. <laughs> and that's just what came to my mind. That's, um, yeah, that's how our minds are, huh? In, yeah, the impressions out of all the things we've experienced. Yeah, so um, this is my first time being in person since this COVID-19 pandemic. So, um, so I'm just soaking it in. This is really, <laughs> yeah. this is really um, special that we're showing up just as we are, yeah, and that we can show up um, um, as gay men and um, gay and the whole alphabet <laughs> of men. Yeah, I don't want to presume anyone's... Um, letters. Um, and so, yeah, so, hmm. So I had, uh, today's Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> and time has been so weird. Yeah, this with the, with everything. Um, but I think it's important to honor uh, this day. Yeah, because it is a, um, the, the fancy word, a fancy word, uh, syncretic, S-Y-N-C, syncretism, the sort of the combination of different um, beliefs or religions. And so uh, I'm from El Salvador, but I grew up in Los Angeles, which is, um, sometimes we, we say like the border crossed us, a lot of Mex Mexican folks, I feel Mexican, even though that is in my ancestry, but today is um, Dia de los Muertos, yeah? Um, and then uh, Europeans, so Celtic, uh, yeah, I think the Gaelic way of 
um, Samwin, I think is how you pronounce it, yeah? And then, um, yeah, Hollow's Eve, you know? And, and in preparing today, I thought, well, I might as well talk about grief and loss, but that, that's feeling um, too heavy, but we'll see where it goes. My, my plan is to talk about what gets in the way of being in the moment, yeah? Um, and the Buddhist um, jumping off board I'm going to use is the five obstacles or the five hindrances, which is uh, a teaching some of you may be familiar with. Uh, I recommend there's this wonderful book that just came, uh, not just came out, it feels, um, it was 2008, reprinted. It's Satipatthana uh, is the book. And so Satipatthana is one of the discourses. And it's been uh, translated a bunch of times, but this, uh, I, I believe it's German uh, uh, scholar, Buddhist practitioner, uh, uh, Anayalo, who I got to meet once in person. Um, and he's very, um, very committed, and he made a whole book on these discourses. And the five uh, obstacles or hindrances are um, sense desire, and I'll go into each one of these. And, uh, and then ill will is the a, is a second one. And sloth and torpor is a, is a third one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break these down. And then, uh, of course, with my understanding of how it makes sense to me, restlessness and worry and uh, doubt is, is the fifth one. And so, because we have all this talk about practice, 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 you know, and um, I was very uh, impressed that we all were able to sit still, <laughs> as we did, because I realized in my humble yet aging years, it's, it's challenging to be able to sit um, still. Um, and, uh, and we're all, this is a grief thing, um, we're all temporarily able-bodied too, right? That, um, that I'm sitting here on, on the floor, I did a lot of stretching this morning, so, and it's, I'm able-bodied today that I'm able to do this, but, um, uh, but to think of how um, our bodies change and how we how we deal with that. And so this is the first um, hindrance, and I'm putting that in quotes, or obstacles, is the, the sense desire. How we have a natural inclination to want to feel comfortable all the time. Uh, and that's through all our senses. And many of you may know that in Buddhism, there's the six senses. Yeah, the sight and sound and touch and smell and taste, and then the mind. Is a, is a sense, which is um, really interesting to me. And we tend to think of the mind, I, I think of it, uh, and I think it's, it's a very conditioned um, way of seeing the mind, is that it's up here, it's like just our brain. So, but the mind, it's interesting to think of it in the Buddhist sense of, of, a, of a process that is conditioned by the experiences 
we, we've had in our life. And that it's not fixed, that it's, that's always changing. Um, and so that's another tendency. We tend to think, oh, it's a mind, or I have a good mind, or a bad mind, or, I'm, or we hear like mindfulness, and that somehow I'm not practicing well since I'm not mindful, you know, or I'm not working hard or producing a lot of products for capitalism. So like that they're capital. So that's not like, so there's, so we, we start to like, I think moralize the mind. But the interesting thing is that in Buddhism, as I understand it, it's just another, another sense. And that we have to have labels. Like, so we're seeing each other, we're seeing statue, table. And, and the important thing I believe is to notice how those labels can be helpful, but then they also can limit our view of this pretty uh, miraculous existence, um, disembodied existence that we each have, um, whether we uh, remember or not. You know? And that's the, that's the mindfulness. And in, in this Satipatthana, that's the first part uh, some of you may know, sati, S-A-T-I, is mindfulness, it's, which is actually remembering. It's like a coming back and remembering. Um, and, and so we forget like how um, uh, uh, amazing, I guess, we are. Or, <laughs> um, and we can use the senses to come, come back to that. And so this first hindrance um, is sense desire. So how are we experiencing the world? Through these senses, and the one way to think of the mind as being this luminous, kind of clear experience that is interdependent in all the things, right? The stardust that we are, and just just the energy in here of being with each other, and and then everything else, the more than human, right? Just it's incalculable in, in many ways. And, but where we get trapped uh, in the sense desire is that we like all the like, pretty things and the pretty colors and then we kind of lose ourselves in, in a, say, like an image. I, I, I think of so much time has been sent for, on the computer and with all the social media and and I just think of how, and this is more of a question, like how have like the filters through which we, the colorful filters that we see the, the world through our um, computer screens, how, and I want to say hi to everyone on the computer screen. I can see you a little <laughs> bit over there. And then hi in the future, the past, time is an illusion for who listens to this. But that to think of how our sight or whatever senses, specifically our sight is conditioned, and then we start to turn away from how, uh, how beautiful we are, you know, and how, again, miraculous. I want to use that word, the etymology is a, a miracle, is object of wonder. And that's something I really love about this practice is that we get to come back to 
um, dare I say, like a childlike wonder of, of this existence that we, that we have. Um, so where we get stuck is the metaphor in the Satipatthana is that the color dies, that we uh, start, we just get very enchanted with, um, that the mind gets uh, colored by, by hues, by, by fixed views. Like that we just want to see the, the pleasant. We just want things to just be nice, you know, and, and that sort of thing. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that, per se. But um, where we start to get in trouble is to bring it back to, the, in Buddhism, they're called the heavenly messengers, that we are all of the nature to age, to get sick and, and die. And so we, we can start to get attached to this corporal experience and be so um, fixed and not realize that we're more than that. But on the other, so the sense desire, the, the Sanskrit term is uh, tanha, which means thirst. So there's three parts of the sense desire. There's a thirst for um, wanting to be and to exist as we are and not age or not ever get sick. And then the opposite of that is a, a craving for non-existence, where we're like, we fall into a despair and, well, whatever, I don't like my body anymore because it, it hurts and it's aging, so let me crave non-existence, so this sort of pushing away. And, and then the, the third tanha uh, of sense desires is, is this like wanting the pleasant all the time. And um, for those of you who have heard the term thirst trap, <laughs> it's um, something when we're on our social media and we just, we just go through um, like the really hot images and get, like, get stuck on them, you know. Um, and it's, I, I, the way I see, the way I am able to align my, my ethics and morality with Buddhism is to not be overly moral with it. And, and really... Uh, Lama Rod Owens, who's a, um, a colleague of mine, he's wonderful. He defines mindfulness as a moment-to-moment -moment ex experience with the intention of reducing harm. So, like, how are we reducing harm when we are uh, stuck in our sense desires? You know? um, and the sense desire, I, I think can give us the opportunity to actually really enjoy the experience through our senses too. I really believe that that's what it's, um, that's what it's about, like to actually really, really appreciate um, what we're experiencing because when we start to restrict or push away too much, it tends to, um, the chain becomes taut on whatever we're trying to break ourselves free, free from. Yeah, and so I'm going to move on to the next one, but before I do, I want to give what the Buddha said about how to work with these. Um, so the sense desire, uh, there's four of them. And so general acquaintance with and formal meditation on the body's unattractiveness. Um, and so for those of you who have been on long retreat, uh, you the tendency, you just one starts to just fantasize and... Just all these things. And, and to be transparent, I feel like I pass a lot of my um, 
time each day just fantasizing about like if you know if I just had that man or if I just had this or that then I would somehow escape suffering or whatever and so this meditating on the unattractiveness of the body it's not as I see it um, beating yourself up for our blemishes or or our big noses or whatever it's about which we can't see through these masks huh? um, <laughs> but to to realize that the the body the unattractiveness is all the the there's a whole refrain in, in Buddhist um, scriptures of like the body is like body hair and pus and phlegm and it's a whole long list bones, sinew, synoic fluid and just like this kind of unattractiveness in, 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 in a sense. And when we're able to go into that kind of meditation and just kind of, I think we can easily, at least I have, um, just start to appreciate the, 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 the health that, that we have, this body we have. Guarding the senses. So again, these six senses, being aware of our awareness, our being mindful of our mind and where and the other senses. And because uh, we can s- start to see how a lot of energy gets sucked into these other places. And then, then that doesn't leave energy for, for, um, for coming back. Yeah, and being with. Uh, moderation in food. And that's, that's a whole other talk. I, I've been learning a lot about um, diet culture and how um, I think in the gay community, it's very common to the, our body image issues. And I think a lot has been relegated generally to um, the other side of the gender binary. It's all women are dieters, but... I, I've come to realize how much I've internalized uh, healthism. This sort of like, if I get sick, then it's something I did, you know. And so that's that's a. But anyways, moderation in food. It, I this was written. A lot of the Buddhist teachings we hear it was um, written for monks, like monastics. So it's like how to apply it to our lives. And I think a really really good way um, is this fourth um, kind of antidote to sensual desire, good friends and suitable conversation. <laughs> um, and so the beautiful teaching when the, uh, one of the Buddha's disciples, Ananda, um, his cousin, the Buddha's cousin and um, helper, said, Buddha, I figured it out. You know, spiritual friendship is half of the holy life. Uh, and then the Buddha says, Ananda, dear Ananda, that's actually the whole of the holy life. And, um, and so, and which is why it's just really wonderful to, to be with each of you in that, and to be part of this lineage, this history of the Gay Buddhist Fellowship. Um, the time, the first time I was with your Sangha um, was around 2000, and it was on Hartford Street. And there was uh, the upstairs and the cookies and tea, that's what I remember. And, and I'm positive it was Stephen Tierney teaching up front. And, and just what a blessing, you know. And, and just the, the um, that seed was a very potent seed, that there was, that there was um, something beyond the bars, you know, and the, 
and the um, the back of the the, the free rags. <laughs> um, okay, so sense desire. Um, I used to love reading personals. Um, I think I still do. Uh, so aversion. So that's the um, the second one. And um, aversion is ill will or pushing away, hate, and in general, I tried in moments, and the counterbalance for hate is the loving kindness, the metta practice, and to and compassion, to have an understanding um, of why. I mean, the basic understanding of hate and aversion pushing it's pushing away. So sense desire is like wanting more and more and more, and then pushing away is aversion and hate, and then it's a whole spectrum of anger to ill will. Um, the edgy, the, the edgy part I'm gonna go with on, is like how we, I, I think, are all made on the more left side of the political spectrum, and Howard. You know, I mean, it's really, it's really challenging to try to see our, our, um, the similarities that humans have around wanting things our way and and not to do a false equivalency because people on the right uh, specific group, like we have survived a lot and had to fight a lot to survive and be considered human, you know. Um, and at the same time, and that's, I just went to like the hardest kind of Olympic level, like how to under, bring understanding and compassion and universal goodwill to other people. But maybe in a more interpersonal setting, when people annoy, annoy us, like how, how are they a reflection of, of um, an unloved kind of aspect of ourselves? Um, so, um, so that's aversion, and the the sense desire. It's like the clear mind would die, and so aversion is like boiling water. That's the metaphor that is used um, when we're just boiling, and we need to boil the cook stuff. Um, but if we're boiling and burning ourselves and burning others, that's um, that's not reducing harm, right? That's just. Um, yeah, so, and some of you have heard the Buddhist story of holding the coal and hoping the other person gets burned from it, right? And, and even when we throw it, it kind of may hit somebody, but who's getting burned, right? Um, yeah. And so aversions, so uh, like I mentioned, the four um, uh, kind of antidotes or how to work with these. This first one I mentioned around loving kindness and general acquaintance and the formal meditation on loving kindness or goodwill. Um, unstoppable friendliness is a, a, a fun translation for metta. Um, reflecting on the karmic consequences of one's deeds. And the karmic karma, that's a whole other topic, but the means action. And so everything that we do influences the whole and it's just very complex. It's not so linear most of the time. But that, yeah, when we 
a lot of meditation is about noticing the patterns that we have and seeing if they're helpful or if we want to switch it up and switch it up not to do not to do something else but that it generally helps us to be in a certain in, in an easier sort of way when we're not just in the sort of rote kind of um, behaviors especially those that are causing um, more suffering or harm and then how to bring compassion to those because the karma is the seeds that have that we've planted in this life and that are intergenerational and so um, so when in this moment we would say oh how can I neutralize how can I turn off turn down the heat on this boiling water or um, or let it cook what it needs to cook because we need anger to stick up right for our emotional rights or it's a, for for justice like justice and power power is never conceded without some anger some power yeah um, so uh, and then repeated wise consideration and uh, good friends and suitable conversation so um, so you're going to see that comes up for every one of these so sloth and torpor um, I heard some of you giggle and so <laughs> it's very, it sounds very judgmental uh, in a word this one is like depression yeah um, and I and the next one restlessness and worry is like anxiety and I as a therapist I I'm very concerned when people and as a as a Buddhist teacher and as a social justice activist and everything I get very worried when people aren't anxious or depressed because <laughs> because there's it's like you're not paying attention <laughs> yeah um, so so the the sloth and torpor, the depression, I just, depression is such a complicated um, mood state and, um, and just experience. And um, and And again, you know, that's when we start to touch into grief and, and, and loss, you know. And, and to cut to the chase around all these things, they're not obstacles, these things. They're part of the path, you know. These things are all part of the path. And it's not that we're doing something wrong. And depression... Um, can um, help us uh, slow down, yeah, and be with, because it's our natural inclination to want to push away, and we don't want to like take everything in, yeah, because that's definitely one way we become depressed, right? Because we start because we're not able to guard, you know, the senses, and we take on um, so much. But to be clear, it's not about blaming ourselves for, again, I, I worry when people aren't feeling the, the, the sadness, you know, of, of, um, of, um, of life. And, 
And, and we, we know we, we need that, right? That the joy is in there with the pain and the sadness. And I don't know of a sure, fail-safe way of getting through life not feeling sad or depressed. Like I, you know, because in the ways we avoid, uh, in unskillful ways, um, it tends to come come back in some way, and because these things, the grief and loss, um, they need our attention too. And I really think to come back to the spiritual friendship, I really think it's absolutely necessary to do that kind of work in community, like to be around, because because we know that's what has got us. That's the only thing that's ever got us through, right? Um, I, yeah, I have like a version comes up when I keep on hearing the pandemic, 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 and I, and I think of, you know, the pandemic that of HIV/AIDS that is still um, here and, and ravaging um, parts of this country and globally and and. A question I I, I want to I'm coming with with you all is like how do we not wait till the next like tragedy to come together and and grieve and 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 love um, together um, and to be clear like the grief is is because we love that's that's. That's the um, feels like a cruel joke, you know, and and I put my hand on my heart because I, I again a question is like how how do we keep our hearts open even when they they get broken and when when we when we lose um, the things that we love. Um, so sloth and torpor can be a way to like bring us. Um, to slow us down, you know, and and we need energy to practice, you know, and ideally we could get the this next one of restlessness and worry together. I sometimes think of it as pushing the brake pedal and the gas pedal at the same time, um, and trying to get some sort of balance off that. Um, but but we know, um, and um, we we know that. The, the four ways to meditate, the four postures, yeah, that the Buddha taught, um, sitting, and at East Bay Meditation Center, the place I teach at, we, we, we got rid of the word sitting, we're calling it stationary meditation, because again, it takes like so much to be able to sit in these, um, right, to sit at all sometimes, yeah. And um, walking meditation, which is movement, um, Lying down, um, which is the hardest one, you can fall asleep, <laughs> and, uh, and standing, yeah? And so, basically that means that we can meditate at any, any time, yeah? And, and so, restlessness and worry, so that antidote generally, and for the sloth and torpor, it's generally like moving the body, is like, I think the most helpful, because trying to sit through Anything is highly not recommended, I think. Um, it's been my experience. 
especially as a therapist and working with trauma, like I really, uh, it's been my experience in the hundreds of people I've worked with, it's like move it through the body. I just move whatever needs to move in the body. And the, the amazing thing about being with each other here is that um, the body's already moving stuff all the time. And then somehow we experience that, um, a fancy term is co-regulation, that we're regulating each other all the time. And, and then we start to see that, oh yeah, it's happening in nature as well, right? The, the solidity of our bones and are the same minerals of the mountains, the, the blood and water flowing are the rivers, you know, and the streams, our veins. And, and, um, and so this coming together and, um, yeah, can help us um, make it a little easier on us to, to move with um, as opposed to pushing away reflexively all the time. So sloth and torpor, so here's another food one, it's lessening food um, intake, changing meditation part, um, postures, mental clarity and cognition of light, and staying outdoors, uh, good friends, suitable conversation. Um, you don't have to memorize these, and a lot of us have like, phones now, you could take pictures, you could take a picture of this later. But, um, but yeah, I've covered some of these. Like, um, and this mental clarity, cognition of light, that um, I mentioned, uh, um, this is, you, some of you already know, I'm a Joni Mitchell fan, and so that Woodstock song, it was like, um, um, we're all stardust, right? And, and she's not the only person who said this, but that cognition of light is to see the light in each other. Right? Yeah. So, and then restlessness and worry. And so good knowledge of the discourses. Um, so the discourses, they're talking about the, the Buddhist teachings. Um, but I also think of it as the discourses of our mind. <laughs> um, restlessness and worry, the, the, if I could just boil it down to two words, it would be what if. <laughs> the restless, so restlessness and worry, anxiety is what if. So to notice the discourse of that, that kind of spinning discourse that we have. Um, and um, yeah, and then so clarification of the discourses through questioning. So if we use the term, what if, and then we could say, okay, well, what, what if that happened? You know, and, then, and then so we're questioning them. But it's also questioning the Buddhist discourses. These aren't, um, yeah, this was a really important um, foundational piece of, of the Buddhist teachings was see, see for yourself, like see what makes sense for you. What, not, getting rid of ethics, yeah, that's part of the deal, um, but, but seeing what, what resonates for you. And, and, um, and, uh, and so that's the third one, it's it, we have to be well-versed well in ethical conduct. So when we're worried all the time, and I, I think as gay men, it, it's such a part of uh, our experiences, like worrying that we're unethical because of who we love. Yeah. And that, and then coming to this intention of that I'm going to use my sexual energy um, in ways that reduces harm in the world and myself in the world, 
Like that's what I'm committed to. And that's been, I think we've all had experience of that or living it every day. But how I think that's so important to know that we are conducting ourselves in ways that um, when we're able to do that, we can put our head down on our pillow and say, you know, I did the best I could today. Like I didn't cause harm or I noticed that the patterns of harm um, were continuing, but I was aware of them and, and I had this intention of reducing harm. And so that, and so that's being well-versed in ethical conduct. It isn't sort of the Ten Commandments, you know, but it's, it's the practice of, and when we have, and I think most of the time, it's moments of grace that we're just allowed to not um, participate in causing more harm in the world, you know, because the world is, is, is full of harm. That's just part of the deal, you yeah. um, And so in those moments of grace, our anxiety goes down when we realize, hey, like I just, I did the, the best I could. Or I didn't do the best I could, and that's, and that's okay too, you know. Uh, so visiting experienced elders, uh, I had the fortune of doing that yesterday. I went on a walk, um, and but I want to say elders. I want to say gray hair does not make an elder. <laughs> elders can be the trees, yeah, little kids, you know, um, and that it isn't sort of like the the old soul kind of idea. I don't even, I'm not sure what that means, but the, the, the wisdom is everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it, it takes a lot of courage to, to seek it out. Um, and yeah, so visiting experience and then good friends and suitable conversation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so the last one, and then I'm going to, I was asked to leave time. I'm very happy to leave time for um, discussion. Is is doubt, and sometimes I try to think of this one first because doubt is the one that can really uh, uh, kill our practice. Because right? two kinds of doubts: doubts, what's the point of being in the moment, meditating, whatever word you want to use, practicing. Um, what's the point? Yeah. Or the kind of slightly trickier one is we doubt that we're doing it right. Because I'm, I'm not sitting cross-legged or because I'm feeling discomfort. And that must mean I'm doing something wrong because I'm... And so doubt creeps in. And so to use the, the metaphors, the sloth and torpor is like an algae-filled pool. Restlessness and worry is like wind on, on the surface of the of the water, and then doubt is muddiness. Like you just can't see through the thickness. And um, for those familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh, a, a pithy, pithy saying of no mud, no lotus. <laughs> but the, the doubt gets to, doubt's a, just a really tricky one, and so, I'll just go to the anecdotes. Uh, again, it's good knowledge of the discourses. And continuing, and this is the same as restlessness and worry, uh, the clarification through questioning of the discourses. Being well-versed in ethical conduct. 
Yeah, so these are the same as the restless and worry. And then strong commitment. So being committed to our practice, yeah? That even Larry Yang, who was my primary teacher, he, when I was in training with him, he would say, even the mornings you can't sit, just honor your practice. You know? So anytime I see a cushion, there's a little bow that I, that I do. Because I'm like, you know, I'm committed to this, to this practice. You know? and, and that's a practical tip, like in terms of having a space where you do have your silent meditation practice and know that it's there that you could always come back to. And that's that strong commitment that... Um, that's what's got us here, right? <laughs> to be clear, but yeah. And then good friends and suitable conversation. Okay, so thank you for your attention. And before we open it up to questions, um, anyone on Zoom, if you want to ask a question, use the chat, and Grisha will uh, relay that. Questions? Points? Answers. <laughs> I got one. Yeah. Jeff. What about a person who has historically been a spiritual friend has just become a manipulative monster? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what happens a lot is that we, in general, and this isn't good or bad, but I've been practicing to try to. Um, learn how to be in conflict with other people. And in general, the conflict builds up, builds up, builds up. And, and our culture is set up like that because we can kind of get by on our own, pretty much, you know? Like we've... Yeah. Um, and so I heard name-calling. So I would, yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the aversion. That's the anger. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, on one extreme, maybe the person isn't safe enough to even have a discussion with. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's a way to take care of yourself. Um, but conflict is sometimes something new wanting to happen. And we might not be ready for that new thing to happen, or it might, it might not be the, the new thing that we want. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, relationships are complicated, you know. Um, and in that messiness, we get this, I heard you laugh, around no, no lotus. Yeah, we don't get the beauty of, of, of what's being, um, wanting to be born. Um, and it's very vulnerable. doesn't feel comfortable, you know. And, um, and of course, as an excuse being in any sort of abusive um, relationship, but we all, at the same time, we all are repeating the harm that it's been caused to us, and that when we come together, uh, the healing that happens is really can be very profound. Thank you. Yeah, welcome. Bob has his hand up with a question, but he hasn't typed it in. Okay. Someone else go on. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to thank you because 
one of the things that I love about the song is that sexuality comes up. Um, and I, I really appreciate you bringing this up because for me it's something very unique um, and very helpful because it is the point of my practice that I feel like it's the hardest one to make progress. Um, and uh, it has to do with the first and the last hindrance, I think. Um, well, there's a lot of craving, um, which I struggle with. And I noticed that it's not even biological. I mean, there's definitely like my body craving for it, but there's a lot of like habits that were formed in my early years in this culture. Um, and there's also a little bit of doubt that I cannot live my sexuality in a different way than I than I was that I trained my mind to, to live. You know, so um, and it has a lot to do with like the this kind of like alpha male image that I created for myself and for what I crave. Um, and I feel like very um, uh, stuck in it. Mm. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could say some words about how I can like work with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the most of my last therapist, <laughs> um, who was also a, a yoga uh, teacher, and he made me realize that. Um, that the habits aren't who I really am. They're, 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 just, they're just habits. Yeah. And how can we practice harm reduction? You know, reducing the harm. And so, and that's, so the opposite of the doubt in a, in a word is faith or, or confidence in your, in, in your practice and the practice that as we continue to practice and with this commitment that we are changing the habits and how do we make peace with the habits as you're saying they're they're very um, um, well worn you know and um, and so how do we bring compassion to that and that's that's a it's challenging it's and it's moment to moment but notice the attachment, and that's kind of a sense-desire thing, that if I just get rid of these, then I'll be happy. And so that's um, not reality, because there's, there's always going to um, be um, the unpleasant. And, yeah, and, and the, the, the reality is that we're always changing. There's always change happening. Um, that's the impermanence um, of, of the nature of things and and the last point I'll make about that is that in those places of, of, of deep suffering and is that those are the places that we connect to our, our deepest wisdom to that try not to bypass the unpleasant parts you know, of of, of things, um, and then and that's a balance too, because we we don't want to feel all the suffering, or if it's behaviors, we don't want to um, hurt ourselves. You know, um, in 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 ways that um, um, amplify the the suffering. Does you know. so that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a question in the chat from Greg. Thank you, Melvin, for joining us today. I heard you mention not
not being very moral, totally moral, related to sense desire. Can you talk more about what you meant by not being totally moral? <laughs> Thanks, yeah. <laughs> I think that was me being overly moral. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's... Um, yeah, that's... Uh, um, again, meeting... you the practice where you're at and allowing the practice to meet you where you're at. And it's a, it's a, it's a paradox, you know. We need morality, you know, we need things to hold on to and ethics, but then there's a point where we're holding on so much that we think we're better than, we start to other people. It's, it's going to create that othering and that's not the reality of our existence, we, we're inter, uh, related with everything. There isn't something out there that's pure and perfect as far as, you know, or maybe this whole mess is the pure and perfect. Um, and so, um, so those are just some words on that, but finding, finding what's meaningful to you and then having community to hold us uh, accountable. You know, and that we're that we're um, showing up for ourselves, so that we could show up for each other, and then we're showing up for each other, so that we could show up for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, God, I have so many questions, but okay. Uh, I uh, I wonder, you know, you have in your uh, bio you talk about embodiment and somatic things, and I've been uh, recently revisiting a lot of that and um, learning about like somatic anchors and, and resourcing and things like that. But do you have a like a go to? I mean, already I work, of course, noticing the breath, but um, do you have any tidbits? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. I'm full of them, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> and that's because, yeah, these are the things that have been healing to me, and I'm just so grateful for um, everyone that's passed on their wisdom. And that's one thing, is that there isn't anything new under the sun, right? <laughs> that we, we have all this wisdom, like, because we, I recently saw, I was kind of cheesy, but like, even in our, in our conception, like, we... Like we survived all the other, you know, sperm and stuff, and, but um, but not to, not, not better. It's sort of luck, right, Grace? But Jeff, we're always embodied. We just always are, you know. So, and we can be sold like just buy this and buy that, and then you'll do. This. So there's that part of it. So that's where I start from. We're always embodied, you know. And <laughs> most of us, you know, spend our embodiment in this part. Yeah, and in the in the brain and in thoughts and cognition, and so that which is very important, you know. Um, but that could be a, a way to spiritually bypass. Like um, we're technically, um, by definition, spiritually bypassing because we don't we're not we're not being connected to the rest of our experience. Yeah, which is our body. This is the way we connect. Yeah, um, and then. And then there's more stuff going on, you know? But, um, yeah, I think learning about uh, trauma is really important. Yeah, it's, and to have that intellectual understanding 
So um, I know Steve Turney brought up like the fight, flight, or freeze, you know. And one thing I want to say about that is those are natural, pretty amazing responses. And that it's not bad. So this is going back to the over-moralizing. Is that, we're, you know, we're not, it's pretty amazing that we're doing these things, you know. And then some things are unskillful. Like we're repeating stuff even if we're not in danger. Or that we have so much comfort that we think just a little bit more and then I'll be without suffering, you know. And, and if I just string enough happy moments, I'll be happy forever kind of thing, you know. And so that, you know, so... But it is building that capacity to, to be with. And I really, just the last point on this, and this comes back to the community, that we are, because you know, we're not just doing it for ourselves. Yeah. But, so if we want to personalize it, sure, we can go and look at our own ancestral line or whatever, uh, look at it, you know, or, you know. But that, but that we're doing it, um, to reduce harm in the world, you know, and, and um, yeah, so, but those are just some, I, I'm happy you're looking at that, it, it's very important, um, and yeah. We have one more question in the chat, Bob typed it in, uh, thanks for the talk, it got me thinking, besides the five physical senses and the sense of mind, has there ever been the inclusion of the sense of humor as a value? <laughs> 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 humor and sense of being suffering, has any Buddhist thinker or writer discussed humor as part of Buddhism? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, there was a one book, um, I think it's just, and the Buddha laughed or something. If you actually look at the, um, the scriptures, I'm not a scholar, but from what I've Right, there's there's irony in some of the the teachings. They're just they can be pretty funny. Yeah, um, humor. Um, another Joni, you know, life philosophy through Joni Mitchell, but she says <laughs> laughing and crying are like the same release. Yeah, yeah and so um, and when we're able to laugh, and this goes back to the trauma piece, that means we've healed some of integrated some of the trauma. There isn't getting rid of, and you all know the word dukkha. That's the word for trauma, pain, suffering, whatever, unsatisfactoriness, with all these translations of it. But when we're able to laugh, that means that we like work through something. And this comes back to community, like how laughing alone is one thing, but laughing with someone else is a whole other thing. And so that's a good example of like why it's important to be with others. Um, to have spiritual friends because the, the belly laughs are, um, they don't happen alone so much, you know. Yeah, so thank you for that. No, thank you very much for providing okay. a very helpful time. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your practice. Do we have announcements? Yes. Yes, uh, November 13th here, Steve Turney will be leading a day long retreat from 10 to 5. There's no admission charge to show up, it'll also be Zoom. Same link as we use for all the GBF meetings. And everybody's welcome. Great. Will we bring our own lunch? Yes, we're not we're not providing okay. lunch this time, just okay. to... Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. Um, hi, I'm the host today. So stay and enjoy the fellowship of the Sangha. Um, there's hot water for tea and cold water for water. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, vegan cookies and treats. Um, there's some Halloween candy that's not vegan, probably. Um, 
and I'll be going around with the Dawn Bowl. Um, please um, take advantage of the opportunity to practice generosity to support the work of the Sangha and the infrastructure and the things that we do to reach out to the community and support the community with newsletter, dinners, and um, such. Thank you. And special thanks to Grisha and Jeff and Henry, who over the past weeks have set up this very slick system. And it's a real gift. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's stand up for the dedication of mass. By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month, and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.